Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays on the final day of March here. Dan Hope joined by Colin Haas Hill as always. And uh, we're coming to you a little bit later here than usual on a Wednesday, but that's because a lot has happened here in just the last 24 hours. So we've got a lot to talk about on this week's episode. Uh, some basketball news, uh, one transfer in, one transfer out. I mean, one uh, literally minutes before we started recording here. So we're going to get to that later in the show. But uh, yesterday was also pro day at Ohio State. So uh, we want to start with football. We'll get to basketball in the back end of the show. And, you know, I think the first thing, the first thing I just have to say is, Justin Fields is good, Colin. Dan, you're breaking some news to me. You're breaking some news to me after I saw that one scout that I think Gil Brandt talked to <laughs> has him as a fourth-round pick, which is maybe my favorite piece of anonymous scout information of all time uh, that, that somebody out there actually has a fourth-round grade on Justin Fields. But, yes, Dan, it does turn out that he might be better than a, than a fourth-round player. Yeah, Justin Fields uh, had his pro day yesterday at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center along with a bunch of other Ohio State draft prospects, and obviously uh, Fields was the main attraction. And I think by all accounts, Justin Fields uh, not only lived up to the hype, but just had a fantastic performance uh, on Tuesday. You know, it has been, you know, it, it's been a weird, you know, draft process where, you know, really over the past few weeks, Mac Jones and Trey Lance were being talked about more than Justin Fields was. And, you know, maybe that's because, Justin Fields, you know, was the last one to have his pro day and he finally had it on Tuesday, but Colin, I, you know, I was sitting there watching you know, the pro day on Tuesday, you know, unfortunately we weren't able to be in the building this year because of capacity restrictions, but you know, just watching it from home and just watching the throws he made and then thinking back of all the times we saw him make those kind of plays during his two years at Ohio state, my mind just kept going back to the same thing. It'd be crazy to draft Mac Jones or Trey Lance over Justin Fields, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm probably right in the same similar boat. I mean, at this, at the same time, you know, last, you know, it, it doesn't feel like that long ago that uh, I thought that Dwayne Haskins was going to be a really good quarterback. But this does feel like if, if Justin Fields isn't a great NFL quarterback, I'm probably just going to have to quit talking about the NFL draft because I just don't understand it anymore. Yeah, I mean, to me, he's got everything you're looking for, and I think. You know, there's so much focus on the Indiana Northwestern games that get talked about over and over again. And I think, you know, the, the rebuttal that I have and a lot of people have is, well, what about the Clemson game? You know, did you watch the Clemson game? Did you watch just about every other game that Justin Fields played in his Ohio State career? And, you know, truly that matters more than anything he did at Pro Day because Pro Day, he, he's thrown the ball against air. There's no pass rushers in his face. Uh, there's no coverage at Pro Day. So, you know, I, to me, Pro Day is more about just checking the boxes. But I think it was a good reminder of just how talented Justin Fields is, of the kind of, you know, throws he can make. You know, I think the one that got a lot of the attention was uh, the one he had to C.J. Saunders, where he basically, you know, rolled out just outside the left hash, threw the ball off his back foot about 65 yards downfield and put it perfectly in place. Uh, for where C.J. Saunders was to catch it. And it was actually very similar to a throw that Zach Wilson had made at his pro day, I believe, last week that had gotten a lot of attention as well. So, you know, now, you know, now the pro days are over for these quarterbacks. Now it's, you know, one month to go here until the draft. 
you know, we saw the we saw the move that San Francisco made in the draft last week to to trade up to the number three overall pick. To me, that's a move that you make to go get Justin Fields. To me, that is not a move that you make to go get Mac Jones. And it's nothing against Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones could be a good NFL quarterback. I also don't think Mac Jones is going to be an NFL superstar. I think when you look at physical ability, I think Justin Fields is clearly more physically gifted than Mac Jones. And in my opinion, you do not make the trade San Francisco did give up three first round picks to move up to the number three pick to draft a guy who is a good safe pick. You, you make that move to go draft a potential superstar. And to me, that's what Justin Fields is. So it seems like Trevor Lawrence is going to go number one. It seems like Zach Wilson is going to go number two. You could argue, you know, some people might argue that Fields should be the number one pick or the number two pick. I wouldn't necessarily argue against that. Not going to make that argument here today because I, I think that's most likely what's going to happen at those top two picks. But to me, if you don't draft Justin Fields number three after making that move, if you're the San Francisco 49ers, to me, that would be a mistake. I think the pro day workout, like it's weird because, you know, when, when Justin Fields is going through his routine, we like everybody else are watching it on television. And it's almost like as it's happening, there's just a microscope on a bunch of throws that he's made a billion times. And you're having these big, com- big picture conversations about him as it's going on. Whereas like in my head, I'm just like, to me, this just feels like another day of Justin Fields. Like this is the same Justin Fields that we've seen play for Ohio State for two years. Like these are the, 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 there's nothing much that that we saw in that pro day workout that we hadn't really seen on the field, whether it be you know his impressive arm or him running super fast. Like to me, it was just a reminder again of the ceiling of Justin Fields. Like we're talking about a six three, two hundred twenty seven pound guy who runs a four four three and can throw the ball as well as anybody else. And it's like. That's the kind of ceiling that you dream of if you're an NFL team. Yeah. I mean, that's the point. There's, there's not a lot of human beings on the planet who have the kind of physical skill set that Justin Fields does. And, and I believe that in most years, Justin Fields will be the number one overall pick in the draft. I, I believe he has that kind of ability. I think this is a really strong quarterback class. You know, I think certainly, you know, Trevor Lawrence is going to Jacksonville. Urban Myers basically said as much that he's going to take Trevor Lawrence. It seems like the movement is towards Zach Wilson at number two. But to me, you know, J- Justin Fields, if, if I if I was sitting in those shoes as an NFL GM, I would absolutely be willing to, to make that bet on Justin Fields. I'd be absolutely be willing to trade up those picks and pick him in the top three because I believe all the tools are there. And then when you add them with the intangibles that he showed throughout his Ohio State career, you know, the toughness he showed in that game against Clemson and the fact that he's, you know, a, a great leader who seemingly does everything the right way. Uh, to me, it, it, he should be a slam dunk top three pick. And if he if he's not, I will I will think uh, that team made a mistake. All right, who else on pro day stood out to you? I thought you know Baron Browning put up some really impressive numbers. Uh, he had uh, a sub four six forty, a forty inch vertical jump, ten foot ten broad jump. Uh, when you look at his size, a guy who's 245 pounds, uh, those are some really impressive numbers for him. And you think about, you know, a guy who was a, a five-star recruit, you know, one of the top overall recruits in the country. I think he showed why, even though I don't know what we necessarily always saw that from him during his Ohio State career. I, I think he 
there's a reason why he's still being talked about as a guy you could go as high as the second round in the draft. And it's because he has very rare physical ability. And I think he showed that on Tuesday. And I think, you know, another guy at that linebacker spot to me, Pete Warner, uh, you know, I, I've said it on this podcast for years that Pete Warner does not get enough credit. And I think the biggest criticism I heard from Ohio state fans that always bothered me was people thinking that Pete Warner was not athletic because I think people, you know, they kind of love Pete Warner in with tough Borland and they act like they're the same player and, you know, tough Borland ran a four, nine, eight 40 athleticism questions about tough Borland are very legitimate. Pete Warner is even by NFL standards, at worst, an above-average athlete, and he showed that yesterday. And I, you know, I, I think Pete Warner is still the guy in this class, in my opinion, who's not getting enough attention as a draft prospect because I think he's going to be a second or third-round pick. I think he should be, and I think he's going to be a very good NFL player because I think he's got you know really well-rounded skill set, and you know I, I think he's one of those guys that you know never got the credit he deserved at Ohio state still isn't getting the attention he deserves as an NFL draft prospect. But I, I think the team that drafts him is going to end up being happy. They did. Well, you know, I'm a Pete Warner believer. I, I I'm a Pete. And not only that, I'm a, I'm a Pete Warner NFL believer. Um, I, I think he has a chance to be really, really, really good in the NFL. And, you know, it's funny because you see the times and it's like, I wish that two years ago, we just would have had those times just to, <laughs> just, just to show, the kind of athlete that Pete Warner was because when he was moving back to, you know, play a little bit of, of safety and, and some looks like, I think to some people that was crazy, but I mean, if you're going to run in the four or fives, that, that that's not nuts. I mean, Baron Browning's Baron Browning's just a ridiculous athlete. I, I don't really know exactly where he fits in, in an NFL team. You know, he had talked about uh, on, on Tuesday about the fact that NFL teams have talked to him about being a three, four outside linebacker rushes, you know, one mentioned him just playing defensive end one mentioned him playing middle linebacker also rushes. Like I think that three, four defensive end position is interesting for him. He's an incredible athlete that feels right for him. Just given his explosiveness, which is what I think is, is his main gift. But like, I feel like I was on the Baron Browning should be a great pass rusher island, and I'd never truly saw him develop the kind of the kind of moves that that you really need to be that guy. And I believe in his athleticism because that's real. Like few people in the world are as athletic as Baron Browning. I'll be fascinated to see if he can develop into that kind of pass rusher that like you know I thought he might be able to, and I know a lot of other people thought he could at, at Ohio State. Just to clarify, you said free four defensive end, but I think you meant free four outside linebacker. I did. Yes, correct. Thank you. No, that's a that is a fair correction. Also, one guy on the like the fact that Tommy Togi reps forty times on the bench press and then also clocks a four nine seven forty. That you know that feels illegal. You shouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, again, it's like like you talked about with you know Fields and and Browning. There's there's just not a lot of human beings on the planet. Who, who have this these combination of physical traits. And he's another guy, in my opinion, much like Pete Warner, who I still don't think is getting enough attention as a draft prospect. A guy who I, I think should be firmly within that second round conversation. Because again, you look at his strength, you look at his athleticism, you look at the way he played for Ohio State last year. I think he's going to be an excellent nose tackle in the NFL. And he's another guy that I think, I think, maybe because a lot of people weren't expecting him to declare this year, but I think 
he hasn't gotten as much attention as a draft prospect. Cause I think, you know, people didn't necessarily know who he was that much before this past year. But to me, to me, he checks all the boxes as a guy who, you know, could very easily be a second round pick and who could be an excellent player in the NFL. Yeah. He's interesting because to me, he's, he's like a high floor, high ceiling kind of guy, which is to me, that's obviously perfect. That's, that's what you want because I can't imagine Tommy Togiai just flaming out in the NFL. Like Tommy Togiai will find some way and, and maybe he doesn't develop into to a great pass rusher. Maybe he's just, you know, a, a plug the a gap kind of defensive tackle. I think he's better than that, but at the very least, you know that he can do that. Like with that kind of strength, that kind of athleticism, he's just different in that way. But I do think we've seen some flashes of him as a pass rusher. He is a freak athlete. Like that's the kind of guy that, that it should be easy to talk yourself into if you're an NFL team. Well, to me, I know you were a big Devon Hamilton guy. He was a early third round pick last year. And I think Tommy is, is better than Devon. So to me, if Tommy's anything less than an early third round pick, uh, to me, that would be a surprise. Yeah, I think, you know, that's an interesting comparison because they're super different. Like, I actually think Devon Hamilton, you know, I think his I think his season might have been better than his, uh, what was it, the 2019 season was actually better than Tommy Togiai's 2020 season. Like, I just think if you go back and look at what he did, he was outstanding that year. But they're also just different players. Like, Devon's bigger. Uh, they both have that kind of brute strength that you'd want. I think that Tommy is quicker. I think that he's he's also just in a straight line. He's faster. So I think they're a little bit different players, but those are two guys who like, you just feel like going into the NFL, like they're probably not going to fail. Like they, they will carve out some sort of a role. It's just how impactful can they be? Aside from the workouts on the field, I think one of the things that was interesting coming out of a pro day and, and talking to most of these guys after was, uh, you know, multiple guys talking about, you know, the injuries they played through, particularly Josh Myers, who revealed that, you know, he suffered a turf toe injury in the Northwestern game. And then that got significantly worse in the Clemson game to the point that he had a, a broken foot, a broken bone in his foot and a, 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 a tendon avulsion. I don't know exactly how to say it, but if you don't know, yeah, if you don't know how to say it, then it's probably not good. Yeah. I mean, the point is his, his foot was pretty messed up to the point that he had to have surgery. He couldn't work out at pro day. Uh, he, he is a four month recovery timeline. So he expects to be good to go by the end of May and good to go for his first NFL season. But, you know, I guess the point is you look at Josh Myers, uh, Wyatt Davis, he was able to work out yesterday, but uh, he did have a knee injury that he played through in the final five games as well. Sean Wade was not able to work out yesterday. He was playing through a turf toe injury this final season. And you realize there were a lot of guys, a lot of key players on this team this past season who were playing through not insignificant injuries that basically they prioritized, you know, trying to help the Buckeyes win a national championship over their individual health. And by making that sacrifice, have actually had to deal with the effects of that in the NFL draft process. I think I messaged you as Josh Myers was explaining it, where it's like, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to think right now and not, at least in the back of my mind, be thinking about uh, player compensation and the fact that to play in those games, coaches earn six-figure bonuses and the players who then were playing in those games and then went through the pre-draft process 
couldn't do certain key parts of the key uh, of the pre-draft process in front of NFL teams because they played in those games that got their coaches money and potentially hindered their earnings in the NFL. And like, that's just one of those, like, it's one of those things that it's like, we don't talk about a ton because it's almost like people, people always know that um, in the back of their head, at least. But when Josh Myers is explaining that, like it's one, it's, you think about the fact that, wow, like maybe it's starting to make a little bit more sense why Alabama won the game the way they did uh, when, when we start hearing all these things, but also to like the, the pay the players thing is, is real. And I think, you know, there were conversations in the Supreme court today, as we record on Wednesday, I'm sure that, you know, they will, they will continue. And, you know, you hear things like that and it's understandable why. I think, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I agree. I think that those are absolutely the kind of stories that if you're, you know, arguing against the NCAA here uh, about, you know, why, you know, players should have the opportunity to, you know, be paid or make money or, you know, whatever exactly, you know, you think should happen. Uh, I absolutely think those are things that, you know, should be brought up because, you know, those guys did. I mean, they, they made a sacrifice that they chose to make. I'm sure there are some people who would say maybe they shouldn't have made those sacrifices. Maybe they should have shut it down and just, you know, prepared for the NFL. I think, you know, it, it shows you how much this team wanted to, you know, win a national title last year. The fact that all these guys decided to, to ride it out and, and to continue uh, to, to play through those injuries. But it's unfortunate, you know, in, in, in the cases of where, you know, it could, you know, potentially affect, you know, where they get drafted. Now, you know, I think a guy like Josh Myers, I don't see it having a huge effect. I think he's got, you know, two years of good tape where I don't think uh, not being able to participate a pro day is going to be a, a huge deal for him. But, you know, a, a guy like a Sean Wade, I mean, he obviously didn't have a great season last year. Who knows if he was, if he was fully healthy, maybe he has a better season. So, you know, I, I think, you know, that's the tough thing that I think sometimes, you know, gets forgotten in these, with these guys, you know, I think, you know, Wyatt Davis is another guy where I think his draft stock has dropped uh, some from last year, where I think, you know, at this time a year ago, a lot of people were looking at him as a future first round pick. And now it, it seems to be more second, third round. Well, you know, maybe he didn't play as well this year because he was dealing with a knee injury. So sometimes uh, there's things that we don't know about because, you know, we know Ohio State, Ohio State does a really good job of keeping these injuries under wraps because, you know, we, we knew Wyatt Davis was was banged up because there were a couple of times he had to leave games early. But like Josh Myers, I didn't know at all until after his Ohio state career that, that he was dealing with any uh, injury during the season. And that just tells you, you know, how good a job Ohio state does it at keeping these things under wraps. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, it's, it, it's, it's hard not to, it's hard not to think about that. And also, like I mentioned that Alabama game, when we think back to the fact they had one padded practice and, and all these things going on, um, we probably don't need to revisit it too many times, but yep. Starting to make more sense. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely. I think you you think about all the different factors that led into that game and it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, you you kind of understand why Ohio State got spoked in that game. But the other end of that equation is it also makes the Clemson win that much more impressive. The fact that Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis and Sean Wade were all playing hurt and Ohio State was still able to dominate Clemson the way it did. So do you want to actually talk about something where uh, they, they aren't losing to Alabama by several touchdowns and talk about spring football where everything is good, everything's dandy, and everybody is making gains and, and improving, and you know the way that everybody talks, everything's perfect. Yeah, like we talked about before, off-season, best, best time of a year. Everything is good, but 
I mean, is everything good? I mean, I, I mean, I think that's a that's a valid question. I mean, because if we're, I think we're going to talk about the linebackers here today because they talked last week. And if you look at the linebackers right now, you know, to me, I think there's two pretty clear cut starters. And I probably shouldn't read too much into, you know, who's getting selected to do media interviews in terms of trying to project a depth chart. But I do think the fact that Taraja Mitchell and Dallas Gantt were the only two linebackers that met with the media last week does mean something because. I'm like 95% confident that both of those guys are going to be starters this fall. How about you, Colin? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of right there with you. I feel extremely confident about Taraja Mitchell, especially since he's actually able to go through spring camp. The fact that Dallas Gantt came out and said, you know, he's dealing with a, a foot injury that's going to keep him out until at some point in the summer. I do think there might be an opening there, um, and, and there are enough guys you know, beneath him on the depth chart, a Cody Simon, a Tommy Eichenberg come to mind that I do think that there is a chance that if someone makes a really strong push, you know, at the very least they could rotate or, or even potentially start in front of him. But, you know, those two guys have waited their turns. You know, we've seen a good bit of them over the past several years, and it just feels like now is the time that, that they are going to take over. Who do you look at as the most likely candidate if somebody was to steal that job away from Dallas Gantt? that, you know, middle linebackers where he's probably going to play. If somebody was to steal that job away, who do you think it would be? Like, it does feel like it's Eichenberger's Cody Simon. The thing that really is unfortunate is we haven't seen any spring practices yet. So we can't see exactly where guys are lining up, exactly how that depth chart is, is looking in practice right now. And also, you know, how guys are performing. And to be quite honest, I, I think the linebackers who spoke and Al Washington were intentionally vague about how things are going. And I think that that makes it hard to, to read from the outside. We were told today that media should get to see a practice soon. So fingers crossed, hopefully soon we'll be able to talk a little bit more about what we're seeing instead of just what we're hearing. To me, I think, though, you know, when you talk about being vague, to me, the, the real big mystery position to me right now is, is Sam Linebacker, because I really just don't know what the depth chart is going to look like at that spot. You know, I, you know, could Craig Young start there? Maybe. Could Kayvon Pope start there? Maybe. You know, could a Cody Simon start there? Maybe. I mean, there's also, you know, transfer portal rumors out there too. I mean, there's, there's, there's definitely some rumors out there about, uh, you know, Henry To'o To'o from Tennessee, who's been in the transfer portal that, you know, maybe he's a guy who could end up at Ohio state. And, you know, I, I, I do wonder, you know, if that's somewhat connected there with the fact that, you know, we aren't really hearing anything about, you know, who, who could be the starting Sam linebacker, who could be standing out at that spot. And, Oh, they're also interested in this guy in the transfer portal. Um, is maybe Henry To'o the most likely uh, guy to start at Sam linebacker this year? I mean, it it's hard to say that until we actually find out if he's actually going to be on the team. But you know, t- to me, just in terms of the guys on the roster right now, there's just not a clear answer of who might be the guy who's emerging at that spot. Not at all. I think it's I think it's really hard to peg right now. You know, the one guy who's most intriguing to me there is Craig Young because he's just one of those guys who we haven't seen a ton of yet, but it feels like we're hearing his name a little bit more um, than than we have in the past in, in a way that makes me feel like he's impressed in practice. I mean, 6'3", 228 pounds. He's essentially Justin Fields' size. And we talk about Justin Fields' athleticism. Like, he's also super, super athletic in a way that that makes him special. And, you know, 
made him play all over the field in, in high school. And, you know, at one point they were wondering if he might be a, a safety at Ohio state, you know, he, to me is almost like if he plays strong side linebacker, he could essentially in my mind, having not actually seen them practice yet, maybe his position's a little similar to Pete Warner's in 2019, where he's somebody who's essentially the bullet. Maybe they don't call him the bullet, but he's able to do more safety stuff than, than, than other people in the, and that strong side spot. And, you know, that's why, that's why to me, he's the most interesting guy out of all of them. I agree with all of that. And, and I agree that I think Craig young is going to have a role on the defense this year. Will that be a starting role? Will that be the Sam linebacker role? That's what I'm not sure about. Cause there has been a lot of talk about, you know, this, you know, that he's playing some linebacker, playing some safety. I, I do think there is going to be a role for Craig young this year. I just don't know what it's going to be. And again, that's like you said, the challenge of having not seen a practice yet is they're intentionally being vague about what his role could be. So I do believe that Craig Young is going to play a decent amount, at least in, in 2021, and that there's going to be a role for him. But I can't quite you know, wrap my finger around whether it's, you know, we're talking about a starting role here, a guy who's a major part of a defense, or a guy who's maybe more of a situational role player. Is there anything else that linebacker that you think is is really interesting right now, or is this one of those position groups where – you know, I think I think for a lot of us and, and me included, like I think the personnel is interesting, but also we're going to get to the fall and we're really not going to know what to expect production wise because these guys essentially haven't played starter minutes. They haven't they haven't been in these kind of meaningful roles before. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very much unknown with all of these guys because we just we haven't seen any of them play significant. I mean, none of them have started a game. So, you know, I, I think there's very much unknown, you know, like I think. Like I have high expectations for Taraja Mitchell, but again, he's been at Ohio State for three years and he really hasn't played much. So I don't know exactly what to expect from him. You know, I don't I don't know exactly what to expect from Dallas Gantt. You know, I just I feel like those are the two guys that, you know, just from a limited amount I've seen and from what you hear about them, that, you know, those are the two guys that I feel like are gonna be good players. I guess, I think the big question with this group is, can any of these guys be great players? That is what I really don't know right now is, you know, can can these guys just be solid serviceable players or is there going to be a star in this group? And there kind of needs to be a star in this group because again, we, we talked about it, you know, other than Haskell Garrett, like there's not really any proven stars on this defense. So, you know, I mean, I think at the very least, you know, you need somebody who can be a, a Pete Werner caliber kind of player uh, to lead this linebacker core. And right now, we don't know whether they're going to have that. We don't. It's, to me, that's one of the more interesting position groups right now. And it's also one of the position groups where you could watch them right now and also have no idea what it's going to look like in the fall because, like, where guys line up is interesting. But until they actually play against Oregon, we're not going to actually know how to feel about these guys. You mentioned Dallas Gantt being out. And, you know, one thing that I think is a little bit interesting that we've learned here over the past couple of weeks is there are a decent amount of guys out right now. We know Haskell Garrett's out for the spring. We know Harry Miller's out for the spring. You know, Cameron Brown, Court Williams, those are two other guys who could potentially play big roles on defense that uh, are not back yet from the injuries they had this fall. So, you know, Colin, how big of a concern do you think it is that, you know, there are four or five guys here 
in the mix for major playing time that aren't practicing right now. It's interesting because I don't really want to ever go overboard with somebody not participating in spring camp because I think that that would probably be wrong. But if I were to say like, hey, these are the five guys who aren't playing in spring camp, I might be like, hmm, like these aren't particularly the five guys who you'd really want to be missing spring camp. I think that that's where I met. I don't think I would panic, but if I were to look at Haskell Garrett, like I would, you know, Haskell Garrett, the coaches were talking about this not too long ago. Like they wanted a full healthy off season because they could, they thought that he could take another leap. And to me, that means, you know, becoming an all American once again um, and, and proving that, that he's one of the best defensive tackles in the country. And, you know, However long that he's out, you know, that that obviously stunts his growth a bit. You know, Harry Miller potentially moving over to play center. Um, it's not like you have to spend nine months snapping to, to learn how to snap. But as the, the more the more time that you can spend snapping, you know, with the kind with the guys, uh, the, the new quarterbacks that um, that that Ohio State will have, along with with the fact that he's going to have to call out the defense and he's going to have to essentially be the quarterback, the offensive line. Like I do think that that this could have been an important spring for him. Like Cam Brown, I look at him as someone who, you know, he he he'll play a major role in, in how this secondary does does in the in the twenty twenty one season after the the horrid twenty twenty season. And you know this this to me could have been a launching pad for for him to to take off and, and Court Williams too. Like Court Williams is a, is, a, is a fascinating guy who it seemed like was was really coming on and and now we don't really exactly know where it, where he'll where he's going to fit in on this defense and 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 to me that's a lot of what this spring is about is figuring out this this back seven how it all fits together and he's a big piece of that and and like to me I'm not freaking out because these guys are missing it but I I definitely understand uh, why some people would be a little bit uncomfortable with these specific guys being out. One thing I've noticed Ryan Day saying a lot more this spring than I've heard him say in past years is how the preseason is a continuation of the spring. And I think this is probably one of the reasons why, because I think the reality is there's going to be a lot of unanswered questions coming out of this spring. There's going to be a lot of things that this team still needs to accomplish in the summer. And, you know, part of that's for quarterbacks and trying to, you know, work for the young quarterbacks and, you know, other young guys at other positions. But I think this is part of it too, because, you know, like I think the guy probably out of all those guys, but I think it probably hurts the most not to have this spring is Harry Miller, because I think especially in an offensive line, that's a position where the earlier you can set your lineup and really build chemistry with that starting five, I I think the better off you're going to be. And I think with not having Harry Miller there this spring, especially because you know, Harry Miller was not great last year. You know, if if it was, you know, Nicholas Petit Frere who was out this spring, I'd probably be less concerned because, you know, he was so rock solid last year that, you know, I'd think, you know, he, he's he's fine. You know, he, he's just going to plug in. But with, you know, Harry Miller, with not even knowing exactly what position he's going to play and potentially playing a new position and clearly needing to improve from where he was last year, I think it definitely hurts a guy like that and in turn hurts the offensive line as a whole, that he's not able to be out there for these 15 practices. Yeah, he's he's definitely the one guy who I think you can look to. And it's an interesting opportunity, too, for some of the other guys to, to play center because also, like, you know, if something were to happen to Harry Miller in the fall, like these are these are obviously the guys that, that they would turn to. Um, uh, Matthew Jones, uh, Luke Whippler. I know Jacob James is getting some snaps, too. 
Um, so it's an interesting, it's an interesting mix, but this is, I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like, we can't truly know how much it matters um, to, to miss a spring camp because I think it, I think it totally differs between the players and, and between the positions and the injuries, but, but Harry Miller is definitely a guy who I think, especially coming off a year that he didn't really particularly have his greatest season, uh, to say the least, I think that this would have been important. That was probably the most interesting thing we heard Ryan day say on, on Monday was, you know, just that those were the guys who are snapping at center. Did we really learn anything else? from Ryan Day's most recent press conference? Uh, we learned that they're going to play the quarterback battle patient. So, no, Dan, we learned nothing else. Yeah, we were, of course, asked uh, the obligatory question, as Landon Trucked Collins said, any reports on who is looking the best as of today in the quarterback race? Is the coaching staff confident in the options they have at their disposal? The answer to the first question is honestly no, because they're just not going to say. They, they are very intentionally being vague. Every time Ryan Day gets asked multiple questions about the quarterbacks on every press conference, and every time he he is very careful to make sure he does not praise one over the others. I mean, I'm not even sure if he said their names. To me. I don't. This think is he's... It, Dan. This is exactly what I was going to say. I think that I think people need to stop asking him about the quarterbacks and start asking him about what CJ Stroud has done in practice. I, what I've Miller been thinking the same thing because he. I swear you ask him about the quarterbacks and we might've heard the same answer 12 times already. And you're right. I don't know that he said CJ Stroud's name uh, the last time he spoke to the media, which is an incredible feat. I must say. Yeah. I don't think he said any of their names. And like, sometimes it honestly kind of drives me nuts sitting there because you hear the fourth quarterback question get asked. And and I just sit there and I go, he's not going to answer this. You can ask the same question every week, it's not going to get answered. So it's like, you have to, you have to try to find creative ways to get information out of them. And I mean, truthfully, Ryan day is very good at this. I, I, I don't think he's going to slip up and tell us anything that he doesn't want to, but yeah, the the reality is until we get to see something, it's going to be hard for us to, to say much of anything about how the quarterback race is going because nobody's saying. And, and also like, I think that the the things that we that are constant and that I believe are I do think that they all have good arms. Like I, I believe that. And you know, that's a constant that everybody said. Like they can all make the throws. That's not really the question. The question's all about the other stuff, the leadership kind of stuff, the the kind of stuff about um, you know, progressions and, and how quickly they're picking up the offense and all that kind of stuff. And it is true, like we're talking about Kyle McCord in this, who essentially has had like I don't know, like five, six, seven practices. I don't know exactly how far they're in, but it's not like today would have been six. Yeah. It's not like he's had, you know, a whole year of practices. So I think it's a little bit different talking about him than the others because he truly is at the very beginning stages. And I do think it's a little hard to evaluate a quarterback battle when, you know, one of the main guys involved has practiced six times. Yeah. I mean, and I do think, I do think Ryan Day is telling the truth when he's saying that, you know, this thing is not, you know, necessarily going to be settled in the spring, but this thing is probably going to carry into the the summer. And, and, and quite frankly, they might go into that season opener week one, not knowing exactly what they're going to get out of that quarterback. And that's not a comfortable position to be in, but it's the truth when you have three quarterbacks who have never actually played in a college game before. Yeah. And, and to be quite honest, like I'm, I'm, I'm excited to actually get a chance to, to watch them. Um, and usually, you know, the past couple of years that we've seen 
play in practice. We've seen them practice. I think both of our eyes haven't really been on the quarterbacks because Justin Fields, it turns out, is going to be awesome, and we don't have to uh, we don't have to think about that 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 hardly. But I think that that hard. But I think one of us is going to just have our eyes trained on the quarterbacks essentially the whole time in practice because let's be honest. Like that's what we're all trying to figure out because when we think like we, we have these podcasts, we have, we write all these articles about this team and ultimately it comes down to one thing. Like if they don't have the right guy at quarterback, they're not going to go win a national championship. They, they just aren't. And if they have the right guy at quarterback, let's be honest, like this roster is really, really good and they, they can go out and do anything that they want. So it's the ultimate question that doesn't have an answer yet that I wish that people were more transparent about, but I understand why they're not. So far, the only glimpses of practice we've gotten are the occasional clips that Ohio State posts on its social media accounts. So before we move on to basketball, the last thing I want to talk about is Cameron Martinez apparently had two interceptions in Monday's practice. And I feel like he's a guy that we really haven't talked about like at all since he's been here. I'm, I'm intrigued to see, you know, if he's a guy that you know, can, can carve out some kind of role this year. I mean, there's, there's so many different guys in that secondary that we really haven't seen play, but it's hard to know how it's all going to shake out. And I don't necessarily look at him as like a front runner to be a starter or or play a ton, but you know, if he's coming along in, in practice, I mean, I don't imagine they're, they're putting that out there uh, for no reason. Um, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued to uh, see what, you know, he might be able to bring in, in some role to Ohio State. And he's got, you know, his thing is he's got a ton of versatility. And I'm not exactly sure where even he's going to line up because, you know, he's someone who played quarterback in high school. Um, and, and he was going to go play defensive back for the first time in his life. He basically played everywhere except there. And that's why there was some talk early on about whether he'd actually get a chance to play both ways. And, and I do think that maybe he would have spent a spring doing that if uh, or, or, or a preseason camp doing that in, in a normal year. But with COVID going on, that wasn't really an option. So now it seems like he's settled into the back end of the defense. And this is one of those things where there's playing time available for someone, somebody, if they step up, there are, there's, an, there's absolutely opportunity here. A lot of it. There's, a, there are also a lot of guys there. Um, and I think that this is where Matt Barnes and Kerry Combs, the, the pressure's on them right now to figure out who are the best options, who are the best guys, where can they put these guys to, to, to maximize themselves. And we will talk to Matt Barnes on Thursday. So hopefully we'll learn something about, about the secondary. Again, I'm, I'm sure they're going to be vague in terms of depth chart stuff, but hopefully uh, we'll at least get a little bit more of a sense of where guys are lining up and, and who might be starting to make a move up the depth chart. Cause Certainly, as we've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast, if if there's one position group where Ohio State uh, really needs some guys to to emerge uh, this spring, it's the secondary. Yeah, I mean, we're not breaking news with that one. Well, Colin, it's been a busy uh, 24 hours on your beat as well because uh, late last night uh, it was a, it was a surprise to most people. I think you you learned about it. Uh, very briefly before the news actually came out, but uh, Jamari Wheeler, a uh, former guard from Penn State, is transferring to play for the Ohio State basketball team uh, next year. He has one more year of eligibility. He'll be a quote-unquote super senior with uh, the extra year of eligibility. And then we also learned uh, today that uh, Musa Jallo is transferring out of Ohio State, which uh, my understanding is not a big surprise uh, that he has chosen to move on 
from a program. But let's start with Wheeler. What should Buckeye fans know about him, Colin? Well, I think Ohio State fans should know that they wanted a guy like Jamari Wheeler and they prioritized a guy like Jamari Wheeler from the get-go. And, you know, I think their season ended 11 days before he, he, he committed to Ohio State. And that tells you that they didn't waste any time going after that, that kind of guy. Because if you look at their, 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 um, you know, their depth chart, essentially, is you know, next year they'll have Dwayne Washington back. They'll lose C.J. Walker. So they'll have Dwayne Washington along with Malachi Branham coming in as a freshman. They'll have Michi Johnson back as a, you know, a second-year player. And then they'll have Jimmy Sotos. And I think if you think about those kind of guys, like Dwayne, Dwayne is a chance to, to be an 18 point a game guy. You know, he's, he's that kind of guy. He's, he, he is a great scorer, even if he's, you know, less than consistent. Uh, Michi is Michi's someone who I think is, is interesting as, as a scorer as well. And Malachi could come in and, and be a starter right away. There are questions about those kind of, those guys defense and, and the same, the same goes for Jimmy Soders. They really didn't have a plus defender in the backcourt. And I do think we saw at times this season that sure defensively they had issues because they didn't have a, they didn't have a true big man with, with a bunch of length and size in the middle who was able to protect the rim. But a lot of that too was the fact that that was combined with the fact they had lackluster perimeter defense um, for the, basically the entire season. And you combine that and, and, you know, it makes sense why their defense is around 80th in the country, um, which is far too low if you're going to actually try and compete for a national championship. So to me, Jamari Wheeler was brought in because he's a really good defender. He's a tenacious defender. He's a competitor. He's somebody who's, you know, he's as tough as they come and, and offensively, Sure, he's he's not he's not going to be setting the world on fire offensively. His last year at, at Penn State, he averaged six point eight points, three point five assists, four point two rebounds. He shot forty percent from the field, thirty five percent from three, sixty two percent from the line. You know, he's someone who I think Ohio State views as as a good distributor of the ball. You know, a decent shooter from the outside, but not somebody who they're bringing in for the offense. They're bringing him in because he's an experienced guy who started three years at Penn State. Is a two-time, you know, all Big Ten defensive team selection, um, and and they want to add him to to a backcourt that that really needed, you know, a kick in the butt defensively. So, what do you expect his role to be? Do you think he's the starting point guard, or see a guy who's going to come in and give him some minutes off the bench? It's hard to know. Um, I think that the real key is like he's going to be in the rotation. So whether he starts or whether he comes off the bench, you know, he is going to be a rotational player for this team. Um, one way or another, because they really need this defense. I mean, he he averaged 1.8 steals per game. Ohio State was around, you know, 340th in the country and forcing opponents turnovers. And that's never going to be something that that Ohio State's going to do great under great under Chris Holtman because they just don't want to take a ton of chances and there's a balance there, but they can be better at that. And I do think that that's an area that, that he, he improves. So one way or another, he'll be in the rotation. I mean, he averaged 31 minutes a game at Penn state last year. I don't think he'll play that many at Ohio state, but, but I, I certainly believe he'll, he'll be above 20. So it seems like there's a little bit of Aaron craft here, maybe. All right. We can, we can hold back a little bit, <laughs> but I, I appreciate, I appreciate that. No, he's, I'm not going to say he's Eric Kraft, but I mean, he's, he's a really good defender and, you know, he's a guy who can hound, uh, hound point guards. Um, and Ohio State really didn't have that kind of guy. And, you know, I think, you know, we can talk about it. They're going to try and add another, another guy, potentially a big man to, to this group. But even if they did it, whether they do or don't, that perimeter defense needs work. And, and to me, this is, this is a, this is a solid guy where it's like, 
you're not going to win a national championship because you added Jamari Wheeler, but he, to me, rounds out a team that I know some people are flustered about the direction of this program, but I think this team is going to enter the season next season as a top 10, top 12 team nationally and a top two or three team in the Big Ten. Yeah, I know lots of people have questions about uh, the big man. And I guess the first question is, why was, you know, with, with Musa leaving, there's still an open spot. So it, getting Wheeler doesn't take them out of a, the running for a big man. But it does feel like getting that guard was a priority over getting a big man. Why do you think it was, why do you think it was the top priority from the transfer portal to go get a guard? Because I think from, from an Ohio state perspective, this is, this is not me talking. This is, you know, what, what I know that they think is, you know, they, they viewed guard as, as almost a must, like they needed to get better there. And like, that's not something that they could have gone into net season with, you know, Dwayne Washington and, and Michi Johnson, Malachi Branham and Jimmy Soto says they're only guys in the backcourt. They wanted that. They knew that they needed that. And I think when they look at the post situation, Yes, I don't think that they would say it was perfect, but I do think that they would say, you know, Chris Holtman has, has said this in, in press conferences late in the year, is there are, I don't know that you can point to many games and say they lost this game because of they didn't have a big man. Um, they like the, they not like, they love the matchup advantages that, that EJ Liddell gets um, when he's in the game alongside somebody like a Kyle Young uh, because he's able to, to take advantage of somebody who's seven feet 240 pounds, a plotting guy who's, yes, a rim protector, but probably not built to, to defend a sit seven, 240 pound, three level scorer like EJ Liddell. So I think Ohio State has been very careful to not add the wrong, not add a seven footer for the sake of adding a seven footer, not adding the wrong guy just because they want a big man. If they want, if, if they're going to add somebody, and, and they of course are pursuing big men right now, they want to add somebody who they feel like fits this roster can play nets to EJ Liddell is, is somebody who you're not just putting on the roster because you feel like you have to have them, if that makes sense. So who are they pursuing? I know that they've been linked to Efton Reed as a potential uh, recruiting addition. I know they've talked to a couple uh, guys in the transfer portal as well. Who do you look at as the most likely potential additions here? It, it, it is hard to uh, to talk about Ohio State's big man um, situation without mentioning Efton Reed uh, because he is the the, the five star guy who uh, Ohio State has um, Ohio State's been after for for a really long time um, and you know he's the 23rd player in the country he's 611 he's 225 pounds to me he's the kind of guy who you know, He's the kind of guy that Ohio State really could use um, because he's able to stretch the floor a little bit, but he's also a, he's also a really long guy um, who I think is you know he he's able to dominate in the post a bit, but he's also able to um, defensively he's able to give that rim protection that that Ohio State could use. So I think that you know he's the he's the guy, and it's also funny because not funny, but it's like it's wild because we're sitting here recording this on March thirty first, twenty twenty one. If we had recorded a podcast on March thirty first, twenty twenty. I would have almost given you the exact same rundown of Efton Reed's recruitment because basically nothing has happened. Like, you know, he's in people around him, you know, from what I've been told are, are, are wondering, you know, when is he going to make a decision? When is he going to take the next step? You know, he doesn't really talk to the media that much about his recruitment. And when I say that much, like he almost never talks to the media about his recruitment, you know, teams talk,
talk to him um, all the time. You know, Ohio State's been recruiting him now for three years. So to me, he's that kind. He's he's the guy still. He's the guy still who I would look to and say if Ohio State has a big man, like if I were to put odds on it, like he would be the guy because. You know, there, there are other teams that are that are involved in, in Efton, but I think Ohio State is, you know, Ohio State's had him on campus. They have a great relationship with him, his mom. It's a matter of closing the deal and, and, and finishing this one off. And I think that, you know, it's it's a little hard to know 100% exactly where Ohio State is in his recruitment just because of the nature of how quiet it is. Uh, but I know Ohio State feels good about it. Um, do they feel great about it? Of course not, because even they're kept in the dark a little bit. Uh, but they, they like the relationship that they built. I think that that's the thing that I can say about Efton. Outside of that, you know, they had been linked to this guy whose name I'm going to butcher because, to be quite honest, I haven't ever – I hadn't, I didn't really know much about him before this week when he decommitted from Marquette. Uh, I think it's Jonas Aido. Um, he's a 6'11", 215-pounder in the, in the class of 2021. Uh, he's the 60th best player in the country, 7th best center. You know, he's maybe not that five-star big man, but he is a – um, he is a center who Ohio State was linked to after he decommitted from Marquette um, that they contacted. And I don't know if this is something that is just sort of a one-off contact to see if um, he's interested and then they you know, move on or, or continue pursuing. It's really, really, really early, and I can't stress that enough. Uh, but he's an option. You know, John, John Harrer, Har- Harar, whose name that I still can't figure out, even though I've heard it a million times uh, because I'm apparently terrible with, uh, with names. Uh, he's a Penn State transfer big man who's a, you know, to me, he's a, he's got a little bit of Kyle Young in him just in the fact that, you know, he's great on the offensive glass. Um, you know, he had, I know he had been, uh, been contacted by Ohio State. And let's be honest, like there's a new transfer option every single day. I mean, there are over a thousand people in the transfer portal. So if Ohio State wants to go that route, there are options. There are a ton of options. It's just a matter of figuring out exactly what fits because that's, that is important to Ohio state right now when they're bringing back a roster that they feel really confident in. When you think about Dwayne Washington, EJ Liddell, healthier Seth Towns, justice suing, you know, all these guys, you can go on and on. It's a talented veteran roster. Um, and then you have a guy like Malachi Branham coming in who gives you some punch as a, as a freshman. There's a lot to like about this. So they're looking for fit when it comes to a big man. We were asked specifically by a listener about uh, UMass transfer Trey Mitchell. Uh, he's another big man. I honestly do not really know anything about him, but have you heard his name come up at all? I haven't heard his name specifically come up. I mean, he's an interesting guy. Uh, Average 19 and, and 7 in for, for UMass last year. He's 6'9", 240 pounds. He's interesting. I mean, I, I think that the thing that Ohio State – wants is, is Ohio State wants a guy who can play next to EJ Liddell and, and they've been intrigued by guys who are athletic um, who can switch on defense um, and, and are versatile offensively so I think that that's you know if you're going to look for potential names like those are the kind of guys who I would keep in mind. Now the other bit of basketball news this past week that emerged on Friday was that Indiana actually made a run at Chris Holtman and you know, there was a lot of back and forth, you know, after that news emerged between national media and, and Indiana beat reporters about how serious that interest actually was, you know, whether the athletic director director talked to him or not. It kind of sounds like that was a matter of semantics. But I think you have some insight on, you know, kind of how, you know, that situation played out. Just how serious was Indiana's interest in Chris Holtman and did he consider it at all? 
Yeah, it's hilarious to to watch from covering Ohio State because when it initially broke, you had just the media wars between Indiana folks with the Indy Star reporting uh, that that you know Ohio, that Indiana had reached out to him and was talking to him and and you know two four seven essentially saying no that didn't happen. There's an agent playing games, which you know from my side of it, what I've learned is you know Indiana was interested in him um, and they did reach out and you know it's one of those things where you know. Technically, the AD didn't talk to uh, Chris Holtman, didn't talk to Chris Holtman's reps, talked to nobody involved. So the AD from Indiana's side can uh, justifiably say, no, had no contact, because that's correct. But uh, a rep had reached out um, and wanted to gauge wanted to gauge the interest. And essentially, you know, it got to the point where they were talking a little bit um, and you know, there was a sense that if, if they wanted to push it, uh, cause Chris Holtman still has a, he has a, he has a pretty substantial buyout over, over 10 million right now. You know, if, if they wanted to push it, like they probably could have gotten a deal done. That's, that's the, you know, that's sort of the thinking, but, uh, technically there was no offer made technically, you know, there was no contact between the two parties. So a lot of this is up for interpretation, but yes, Indiana pursued him. Yes. Indiana talked to him. Yes. Indiana seemed to want him. Um, but you know, Chris Holtman is still Ohio state's coach. Um, and you know, that, uh, that story is, uh, gone away now because Indiana has Mike Woodson and Thad Mata. And, uh, I guess they're off and running. I guess my question is, you know, with, with Chris Holtman, do you get the sense that, you know, he absolutely expects to be at Ohio State for the long haul? Or do you think that other offers like this in the future could potentially entice him? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question because when you look at him and, you know, it seems like he's been just a riser in the coaching profession. When you think about going from Gardner-Webb as a head coach for just a few years and going to Butler where he's an assistant coach and quickly became a uh, uh, head coach there and then, you know, he moved on to Ohio State after just a few seasons. And now, you know, this will be his fifth season. He's never been a head coach anywhere for, for five seasons. So I do think, you know, it's fair to have that question. You know, it's interesting um, because I don't, you know, I don't think that Chris Holtman right now is actively looking for anywhere else. Like, I think that that's wrong because, you know, he's from all from all accounts, you know, he's perfectly happy in Columbus. Uh, he's perfectly happy with the job right now. It's not like he's on the hot seat, regardless of what you know certain angry fans about the the Oral Roberts loss think. That that's that's not on the table. But um, you know, I think what 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 a Chris Holman has to look at is look at the future of of Ohio State, and it feels like right now he's set up to have some sort of a, a, a of a solid run here over the next few years. Um, and I do think that that has to play into a coach's thinking too, because yes, last season didn't end the way that you would want to, but Ohio state, I, I really do think Ohio state will enter net season as a top 10 team. I think it'll enter internet season as a top two or three team in the big 10. If you look at the 2021 recruiting class uh, and the 2022 recruiting class, like I think you have a guy who's a borderline five-star Malachi Branham. You have a guy who I think will end the cycle next year and Bruce Thornton as a five-star. Uh, you have a top 50 guy in, in Roddy Gale. Uh, you also have Bowen Hardman and Kale Netzler as like the classic Ohioans who I think you you just take a risk on because you believe in their talent. You believe in how much they love Ohio State and how much they have a bond in these coaches. And to me, there is a great foundation that he has built at Ohio State. And I think that everybody knows the next step is 
know, can you become great? Can you have that breakthrough that we saw in the peak Thad Mata years? Like, of course, that's the question right now. Uh, but, you know, to me, I'm not sure why Chris Holtman would want to look elsewhere right now. You know, the, to me, it's a good situation. And from all accounts, he's happy with, with where he is. As you mentioned, Indiana ultimately decided to hire Mike Woodson as head coach. My mind, not the most uh, exciting hire there for Indiana. You know, I think uh, he probably was not the top choice. They probably uh, struck out on a few of their top choices and ultimately settled with Woodson. I mean, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on Mike Woodson either. So, um, you know, we will see how it ultimately goes. I do know that it's been a long time since he's been involved in college basketball. So I think that would be my question. But I think the thing that's really intriguing about it, especially from our perspective, is Thad Mata, as you mentioned, becoming their AD of, of basketball administration. And that, you know, could certainly uh, help Mike Woodson with where he might need to get caught up on the college game from being away from it for so long. And, you know, obviously it's an interesting move for Thad who, uh, you know, in the crazy cycle that was the Indiana's coaching search, there was actually a, uh, you know, briefly it was reported that they had zeroed in on him as their head coach. And then, uh, there was a report that was quickly debunked about that he failed a physical and that that was why he didn't get the job. But, you know, it, it does seem to be a, a move that's being made here that, you know, coaching a team again as a head coach is probably not in Fad Mata's future uh, because of the, you know, unfortunate lingering effects he's had from uh, the back surgery that did not go well for him while he was still at Ohio State. Um, that, you know, becoming a, a full-time head coach again is probably not in his future, but this is a way for him to get back into the game. And I do think certainly, you know, a guy with his track record as a basketball coach, uh, that can certainly uh, be very beneficial in whatever role he plays for the Indiana basketball program. It's interesting because when, when Mike Woodson got hired, I wasn't super into it. Like I, I wasn't a hundred percent sure if that was the right way to go. It felt like, you know, felt like he wasn't their top option. It felt like they knew that. Um, and to be quite honest, like it felt like that they were trying to do what Michigan did with Jawan Howard, just in a different way with an older guy uh, with, without uh, as many ties to the, to the college game and, and to also to, to high school recruiting that Jawan Howard had just given his kids. Uh, but I think that that model hire is really, really solid. Um, I think that <clears throat> I think that they have a good idea right now of surrounding Mike Woodson with the kind of guys uh, with the kind of guys who to to me it's like you need you need you can't just bring in Mike Woodson and say all right Mike Woodson go to town like you need some sort of a plan I think bringing in a guy like that Mata to help on the recruiting side uh, to help facilitate just hit the transition to, to the college level along with the fact that you know the names that have been floated out there as potential assistant coaches are really really solid and and you need some really high level recruiters on that assistant coaching staff so Thad uh, helping it out in the recruiting department along with some assist, solid assistant coach hires like to me it's to me, it makes sense from their perspective. And also like, let's be honest, like it makes, to me, it makes sense from dad's perspective because it did seem like he wanted to get back in the game a little bit. I mean, he had taught, he had been linked to enough jobs that it felt that way. And now this is an opportunity. Yes. It's in the big 10 and he'll have to you know, go against Ohio state uh, essentially, even though he won't be on the bench. Uh, but 
it's an opportunity in in the state that he lives in uh, with a program that's down and that could use a boost. And you know, we've seen Thad do that exact thing uh, just to, just in Columbus instead of Bloomington. And all of this confirms that there will continue to be interesting storylines when Ohio State and Indiana play. Because for the last four years, it's been the the whole Chris Holtman versus Archie Miller. Archie Miller could have been Fad Mata's successor at Ohio State. Instead, they ended up with Holtman four years later. Clearly, that uh, worked out better for Ohio State. And now we've got Fad Mata at Indiana, the school that tried to poach Chris Holtman from Ohio State. So uh, that'll make that continue to be a fun rivalry or whatever you want to call it in uh big 10 basketball. Yeah, no, I've always thought like, you know, it's, it's one of those things where we had the conversation about Ohio state and having gold jerseys for the Michigan game uh, in basketball. Like to me, the Indiana rivalry is a little bit more fun and it's not that much of a rivalry if we're being honest, but I've always thought it was a more fun game. Um, and also like, Maybe it's because there's just so much hatred for Michigan and football that it feels a little bit lessened when you when you think about basketball. But I, I do I've always gotten the sense that Ohio State basketball fans do not like Indiana basketball fans more so than they don't like Michigan basketball fans. Well, speaking of fun, I'm going to segue into our last couple questions here uh, to wrap up the show because uh, Min Buck asked a question. He asked, "Which Big Ten football team is the most fun to be a fan of?" Despite their dominance, I question whether it's the Buckeyes. Fans are never satisfied finding more to criticize than enjoy in every shellacking and unrealistically feeling like just about every season is natty or bust, making any loss particularly gut-wrenching. At this point, imagine the torture when an 8-4 season rolls around. Well, anyone who listens to this show knows that I agree with what you're, where you're coming from, Min Buck, because I constantly talk about this, about how um, Ohio State fans uh, – tend to struggle to uh, appreciate the, the victories as much as they should and tend to uh, dwell too much on the negative. So I think you're, I think you're onto something there, Min Buck, because you know what, when I, when I initially read the question, like to me, the obvious answer is Ohio state. And it's still probably my answer because ultimately we're talking about the team that's won four straight big 10 championships. We're talking about the only big 10 team that's, uh, consistently competing for college football playoff bursts right now. So, uh, you know, to me, I think that probably is the most fun to be a fan of. But, you know, at the same time, I think all of your points are 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 valid. Like, I think if I was just thinking like this past year, we just talked about Indiana. Like, that's probably the team that I would go to. Like, I think last year, probably the Big Ten team that was the most fun to be a fan of was Indiana because that's a program – that doesn't have those same kind of expectations that doesn't usually experience a ton of success. And I mean, boy, Tom Allen and those players sure looked like they were having a lot of fun. And I think uh, the Indiana football fan base, while substantially smaller than the Ohio state football fan base, uh, it seemed like they were having a lot of fun watching that run last year too. So I see where you're coming from and I understand where you're coming from because you're right. Like for, like there are moments where it's like Tom Allen just seems like the f- most fun guy to possibly root for, uh, just given his energy and whatnot. But what I'm not going to say is that last season I would have rather cheered for Indiana than Ohio State because would you rather have gotten, you know, in your mind, you can say that you got screwed over by not getting to the Big Ten title game and then you lost a freaking Ole Miss in a bowl game rather than Ohio State, which went to the which won the Big Ten 
uh, went to the playoff, beat Clemson, and played for the national championship, which sure sucked for the Buckeyes. That game is not one that people want to relive. Uh, but in general, I think Ohio State is the most fun team to cheer for um, for, for um, among Big Ten teams because I think others have have their seasons. And I say this as a West Virginia fan where it's like, yes, peak West Virginia is really fun to cheer for because there's nothing like being the underdog and they're just coming up and just sniping people essentially when they don't expect it. That's fun. But you're never going to experience the elation of winning a national championship. Like there's nothing that there's nothing that Indiana football ever experienced that that even comes close to comparing to 2014 Ohio State. So I just think that the the, the high ceiling that you get as as an Ohio State football fan, yes, there are lulls, and yes, you have disappointments, and yes, every single every single mediocre moment is blown up beyond what it should be but you're playing for national titles and and you can only really say that right now about one school in the big 10. Yeah. I think the correct answer is Ohio state. I think what I would say is I think if you're a fan of another big 10 team, you might take more joy in, in things that Ohio state fans don't necessarily take as much joy in just because it's expected. You know, I think for Indiana, when you have a high, like you did last year, I mean, if you're looking at last year, I mean, one of the fan bases that probably had the most fun last year was Rutgers, but they have not had a lot of fun for uh, a lot of other years. You know, they had fun last year because they were outperforming expectations. I think it's always fun when you're outperforming expectations, but ultimately, you know, the team that's consistently successful in this conference is Ohio State. And so I think it's always going to be the most fun to be a fan of that team. Yeah, it's you know, as a West Virginia fan, I'm I'm jealous of uh, of Ohio State fans sometimes because I don't get that opportunity when it comes to the Mountaineers, where it's like next year, it's like shoot, give me nine and three any day. And you're right when you ask the question of like, imagine the torture of when an eight and four season rolls around. But we could sit here and be honest; they're not recruiting a team that's ever going to go eight and four, like ten and two maybe if something goes terribly wrong for them. But things are going to be just fine in Columbus. Yeah, I mean. Anything that happens, I'm not going to rule it out, but you know, eight and four shouldn't happen. You don't, you don't expect it to happen anytime soon because of the fact that the Ohio State has, has outpaced the rest of the Big Ten so far in recruiting that really things should have to really go wrong for Ohio State to not win the vast majority of its regular season games in any given year right now. Yeah, it won't happen under Ryan Day. Like the the next time that happens is the next time they make a bad head coaching hire. We were also asked by Nut and PA about what to make of only one Big Ten team going to the Sweet 16 after a regular season, such as the one they had. And obviously now uh, we know that the Big Ten's run of the NCAA tournament is over as Michigan lost to UCLA in the Elite Eight on Tuesday night. And Michigan was the last. Uh, the only Big Ten team standing in the second weekend of a tournament. Uh, I do feel like we we talked about this a good amount last week. Um, so I would I would say uh, if you didn't listen to last week's episode and you want to hear more about that, I would I would go back and check out last week's episode because I I don't want to rehash too much what we talked about uh, last week. You know, I think we um, as as we talked about last week. You know, I think the, the question that he asked was was the Big Ten has the Big Ten become 
an insulated conference that cannot keep up without the rest of the con- country has evolved in current big time basketball. And I think that's an overreaction. I mean, I think, I think the big 10 had a bad tournament. I think you can absolutely say now that the big 10 was overrated and it certainly did not perform up to expectations in the tournament, but to say that the big 10 has been uh, outpaced by other conference that it hasn't evolved with big time basketball. I, I don't think that's the problem. Do you Colin? No, I don't. Especially when you look at look around the the conference. Like I think there are really good coaches in this conference. Like Juwan Howard to me is awesome. You know, as as you know, as is a point people are in in the Oral Roberts, um, in the Oral Roberts loss. Like I think Chris Oldman has proven himself to be a really good coach. Like Brad Underwood, you know, he obviously built a built a really good team this past year. Matt Painter's Matt Painter's really good. You have an NBA coach and Mike Woodson who's going to be interesting to follow. Like you have Tom Izzo in the conference. Like if Tom Izzo goes nine and eleven, yeah, maybe the Big Ten's going to be a little subpar because that doesn't that doesn't typically happen. You know, I. I it's hard for me to to get on board with with the Big Ten is just totally falling behind everybody else. I, I don't I don't really see that as having been the case. Like I just think it was a horrible tournament all around. Um, and you know I do think there is something to be said about the fact that if they haven't if the Big Ten team hasn't won a national championship in so long, uh, maybe there's there's something underlying there. But if we just look at specifically this tournament, no, I, I don't think that I don't think it's just become an insulated conference that that hasn't evolved with everybody else. I think that's, I think that's a little too far. Okay. Let, let's say I'm not, just assuming for, you know, the, the sake of you know, conversation here, let's say Gonzaga and Baylor win on Saturday and they're playing in the national championship. Like would your perception of like the college basketball season have really changed much? Because like, I think most people thought those were the two best teams during the season. And that's what it looks like right now. And you know, even a, you know, phenomenal run by UCLA, you know, great run by Houston, but like, I, I don't know that I, if Gonzaga and Baylor end up playing in the national championship game, I don't know that I'm going to come out of this tournament feeling significantly different about the state of where teams stand in college basketball than I did before the tournament. Like, obviously I thought the big 10 was going to do a lot better in the NCAA tournament. I had three of them in my final four and none of them made it. So uh, I definitely overvalued the big 10, but I also don't know that I think I'm going to come out of this tournament feeling like, wow, like the, 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 the power balance at college basketball was way different than I thought. No, I won't think that at all. I mean, it's, you know, it'll be interesting um, just to see what happens next year because everybody's going to point to it and say, uh, what happened here um, if, if it happens again. But, um, you know, I do think if we look ahead, and I do think it's worth repeating because I'm going to, I feel like I'm going to say a lot, like people are really freaking out about this Ohio state, ba- the state of Ohio state basketball. If Ohio state basketball flounders next year and finishes six in the big 10 gets eliminated in the round of 32. All right. I hear your freak out because next year they should be really good. Um, and, and to me, next year's when, as long as you're not losing like an EJ Liddell unexpectedly the draft or Dwayne Washington does something you don't expect and leaves, uh, which I don't expect to happen to be clear, but as long as nothing crazy happens, like this team should be really, really good next year. Um, and, and it's, to me, it's set up to, to be good in the big 10 where, you know, Michigan's bringing in a great recruiting class. They're also losing some key guuys, you know, Illinois obviously, you know, they're going to lose IO. They're probably going to lose Kofi Coburn. I was going to lose Luca Garza, you know, Purdue's young, um, Purdue's going to be be at the top of the Big Ten along with with Ohio State and Michigan too. But I, I think Ohio State will, 
you know, I think they'll be one of the top two or three teams going into that season. They're going to be fascinating to follow. Well, I think that's a good way to wrap up this episode, finish on some, some positivity uh, for the list listeners this week. So uh, I want to thank you all again for listening in Uh, lots of football and basketball talk. Hope you all enjoyed it. And uh, we'll be back next week for some more.